Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of Journey by Joel Jackson. Good morning, good day, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever and however you are listening to this podcast, I hope it finds you well. It's not lost on me that you are sharing your time, that you will not get back with me and the stories that we are sharing on this podcast. Today we have for you a short story called Tell Me How It Ends. It's a story I wrote a few years ago, and if you used to tune into the Sunday stories that I would share on Instagram Live, you've heard this story already. But to those of you who are new listeners, welcome. <laughs> I wrote this a couple of years ago whilst I was living in Melbourne. Uh, I was kind of in the South Yarra Turak area during the lockdowns of 2021. 20, yeah, that'd be about right. And the sounds and the cacophony that surrounded Melbourne fascinated me. Growing up in the desert as a kid and also down south in southwestern Australia, the noises that we had on our property were kookaburras, magpies, the ocean breaking against the beach line in the night time, or absolutely nothing. It was the desolation of wind blowing across red pindan dirt in the Pilbara. Or every now and again you might hear you know, a truck passing on the highway or a group of people on their way to the pub. It was a totally different atmosphere and kind of oral landscape. So a lot of that found its way into this story. But what I was also going through and reliving and investigating during this time was being left to your own devices and sitting by yourself, thinking about the people that you missed, friends, family, loved ones, people that were alive and kicking. But for me also, I thought about those that I'd lost. And I thought about that communion and my total lack of understanding of it. I couldn't fathom really that I'd lost people. I couldn't fathom that they'd gone forever. I know that they'd had, but it always felt like they'd been there or they'd been around for certain milestone moments that they'd held my hand through difficult times, nurtured me, guided me, not only with their lessons, but this presence that was felt through my blood, but also through my actions. I felt like they were living through me. So this story investigates that and also showcases to you my love of the Greek mythology. It's inspired by a couple of moments too in regards to Mark Twain and Edison and some of the principles they use to surpass their consciousness and to get to their subconscious and investigate problems that their conscious mind just won't let them solve. And it's based in fact. So a lot of these techniques that I'll describe in the story are real. Also, yeah, I just hope you enjoy. I hope that you don't mind me doing these prologues. I should call them prologue and then explain to you what it is. But, you know, we're figuring this out as we go. So I just hope as you're listening that you don't mind these preambles to the stories or the stage, uh, the page of days. Sorry. Okay. So without um, further carry on, let's crack on. Tell me how it ends. Hung over and exhausted, Marcus felt his body collapse 
entered the thinly veiled comfort of the old rug as he laid himself on the floor beside his brother. Their grandmother had gifted the apartment, this rug, such a long, long time ago. A little something for you boys, she said, as she unfurled the intricately woven tapestry she'd brought with her from a recent trip back home. The carpet was littered with the Greek gods, heroes and creatures that Marcus knew well from the books she read to them before bed. Their mother nodded idly from the kitchen as Marcus and his twin brother, Hugh, had watched on. Well, Marcus watched. Hugh had aimed his darkened eyes in the general direction of the creaking frequencies emanating from within the old woman. Hugh wasn't saying much today in what was their usual Sunday hangout, lying together on the rug. Marcus reasoned now in this their 17th year. It wasn't so much a hangout as a practice of equality. When they were younger, Sunday morning cartoons were out of the question. So instead, their mother would force them to lie down on their backs beside each other on the floor for 15 unbroken minutes. Down on the dusty rug, gifted from a portly pastry chef with a laugh like a shotgun, it had burst out of her mouth and ricochet across the space, perforating eardrums like ripe pigskin. It took no prisoners. Jagged instantly by her happiness, a smile would bleed out of the wound of your mouth. She was always a very good shot. But they'd share that fifteen minutes, suspended in each other's presence, flesh and blood, identical, but for a defining lack of one feature, though somehow equal, both unable to move past the present moment. Today, if he could, Marcus very much would like to do just that. When you truly listen, you can't cheat forward into the future. You can't plan a response to something you've never heard. No one has the upper hand. It's a game we've all played that none of us will ever master. Each sound, each cue, each brief reverberation in our mind's eye is pressed by the next concussion of sound, and like an unruly band of cognizant misfits, it strikes its own melody, and once it's pressed to vinyl, there we are. We're queuing up with our instincts, buying the double-play LP from dear Mr. Imagination. Addicted to this pop of the unknown and the unplanned. The two brothers would lay in supine upon the floor, the sounds of the outside world wending its way to them through the open balcony, resting ajar above the famous and much-loved iconic pedestrian promenade of Chapel Street, Melbourne. Sunday cartoons in your mind's eye brought to you by the brunching yuppies, the rattled addicts and the touring companions of cars, bikes, buses, trucks, skateboards the foot traffic, the dusty wings, soft paws, worn wheelchairs, and the lovable human crate that made the cutest impression of a church bell that you ever did hear. Hugh had never seen a tram, nor a church, nor a bell. But whenever they took the tram into the cold avenues leading to the interior oral paradise of the state library, he'd insist on pulling the wire connected to the tram's bell. He'd imagine himself being watched by some wonderful gypsy 
a woman with her hair set back by a handkerchief, dirty from use that very morning, carrying the fig she'd stolen from the rich merchant's healthy front garden to feed her street-weary younger brothers and sisters. She'd see him and his bell-ringing magnificence and follow them into the library and then catch his hand on the well-worn spine of Robert Louis Stevenson's Robin Crusoe, a tale of a man cursed to live in uncertainty, and she'd whisper in his ear, Come away with me. Hugh hated being pitied, but if it meant one day he was likened to Quasimodo ringing a church bell inside the towers of Notre Dame while he stood fumbling in the stank of a tram for that grubby, colourless wire, he'd take it. He'd take anything right now. He'd never been touched by a woman in a way that he wanted to feel, let alone a mystical street gypsy from the pages of a fictional story that his fingers had read. Marcus had been out three nights in a row, and he was wearing it. The atmosphere around him resembled an old, worn-out plastic Christmas tree, bowed by the weight of the overly zealous decoration, hanging low and heavy. He's tired and dying to be put away for a few quiet months. Every exhale he flushed from his system launched itself into the air and then fell back onto his face like an everlasting penance, the bastard's sons from the sins with the mistress on the inside of a sailor jerry bottle. It had been about two minutes since they had laid down together. Hugh had gathered his woolen jumper beneath his head like a pillow and lay almost like a vampire or a recreation of the Knights Templar, hands folded in the centre of his chest and his legs straight as an arrow. He just needed a coffin to lie in or a broadsword to hold. Marcus lay on his back, an over-exaggerated chalk outline at a crime scene. It couldn't be more different. In appearance, in sensibility, in sensitivity, in many senses, or lack thereof. What they shared was this instance. It had only been four days since their grandmother had died. Both boys were owning their own reckoning. Marcus was drowning his questions, poisoning them. Hugh was like a wildfire, sucking in air, breathing life into his rampaging quest to burn through every possible answer. It had never occurred to him that one day, life just ends. Never. In the Greek myths, the old pastry chef told, by rote, he had acknowledged it, but never gauged the magnitude of it in real life. He had never seen his grandmother, nor would he ever, but he'd listened to her incessantly. He loved to hear her speak, and now that would never happen again. Hugh couldn't accept it. Her story had ended. Endings. Like in fairy tales, they're so often abrupt and jarring. Resolved too quickly, they can leave you stinging almost like a band-aid being torn from a spot of skin marred by hair and patchy scab. If you move too slowly, one might even close the book and make one's own path to a conclusion unknown and uncertain. Maybe one might leave it totally unresolved and allow the world to finish it for them. Hugh felt like that option was best for his story. Marcus, however, 
was driving to a point, to a conclusion. Hastening towards a blunt, dull, full stop at the end of one concisely written sentence, colloquially known as an epitaph. But Hugh couldn't and wouldn't end it. Again, he thought, I've never seen her. He'd felt her touch, heard her voice, tasted her cakes, but that one concerning factor of sight led him to believe that he had never seen her, and if he never would see her again, she must still be here, somewhere. It hadn't ended. It was the beginning of the second half of their relationship. Hugh recalled watching a Sunday afternoon World Cup rugby game once with a friend's family. Well, he very much participated in the atmosphere, at least. Hugh loved sport. The English team were down by ten coming into the second half, and the commentators had them dead to rights. They were done for. But, as the fanfare alerted those watching and listening to the beginning of the second half, the father of the family noticed something. The English team had put on fresh guernseys and shorts, socks too. Each piece of clothing, completely sullied at the end of the first half, was fresh and glowing amidst the torrid downpour and the slick of mud splattered upon the opposition. Same game, different uniform. A fresh start. A new outlook on a dire situation that they needed to overcome, and that they did. The English came back to win by four. This was the moment for Hugh's fresh Guernsey. This was the time to bring out his new shirts and pressed pants, meet the mess with a healthy serving of starch and fresh threads. Marcus lay beside his brother, listening to the workings of his brain through the rhythm of the tip of his tongue, gently clicking away on the roof of his mouth. Hugh, he said, and the clicking stopped. When they were kids, Marcus and Hugh shared a double bed in the poor excuse of a master bedroom. It was better than having two single beds in one room because it also afforded them a spot for a cupboard, study desk and a bookshelf. Practicality first, comfort second. That was a much-loved motto in their home. The apartment had three rooms and their mother slept on a single bed in one and used the smaller room for storage and a place for visiting relatives to crash out on a hollowed, fold-out mattress. When their mother worked late, the grandmother would take care of them. The old woman would sit and listen to the rabid thoughts of one boy as the other clicked away at the roof of his mouth, internalising each flavour and thought. Then they'd climb into bed and share a new Greek myth. She'd read slowly, and over-embellish so Hugh could see and feel the world of the story. Marcus noticed once that she'd not only read the words on the page, but add more, many more. Anything to add to the flavour of Hugh's experience, treating him to subtleties and personalisations that otherwise didn't exist. She wouldn't allow his lack of vision to diminish his experience of the world around him, of colours and sights unseen and unknown. Hugh hungered for detail in every part of his life. Marcus took everything at face value. Marcus remembered asking his mother once, as a very young boy, why his brother was blind. 
The response was a perfectly plain mantra of God did this or maybe he did that and he loves us all. It's no one's fault. We're all a miracle. But that was the kind of thing that his mother loved to bury herself in. So Marcus gave his brother his own origin story, like from the myths that they so often shared in the dark, cramped bedroom. His brother was a seer, a blind man sent from Mount Olympus, the home of the gods, a man who could see beyond all realms of sight with eyes that had never seen the brightness of day, a mind that could pierce the spectrum of time and place to position itself wherever it chose, a mortal blessed with the power of a god but cruelly forced to bear his gift with a curse. The moments when Hugh would lose himself in his own thoughts or nervousness, it externalised in the clicking of his tongue. Marcus reasoned every time his brother began clicking, he was travelling through eternity's gate and into the world of the seer. Marcus remembered in a physics class once how his teacher had shared the curious routine of the great inventor, Thomas Edison. Edison would send himself insane, looking for the end of a solution, the end to a problematic moment in an uncertain time. Edison discovered that if he caught himself between the two realms of existence, awake and asleep, his conscious mind might finally give way to his subconscious, where he reasoned he knew the answer, but the part of himself that fought for control over chaos, that was terrified to exist untethered, kept the ending from him. It's called the hypnagogic state, the transitional state between awake and asleep. So Edison developed a routine. While thinking of his formula and the missing unknown ending, he would nap in a huge armchair with two steel ball bearings in either hand resting over the edges of either side of his chair. The ball bearings would be light, small enough to hold firmly, but heavy enough so that when he eventually fell into the hypnagogic state, they would slip from his grip and fall into the thin steel pans that he'd set on the floor. The noise of the impact would steal him from sleep, and before consciousness had the chance to rob him, he'd race to his desk and write out the formula's conclusion, the unfiltered ending. Marcus sometimes wondered, watching his brother, was that his permanent state of being? He didn't pity his brother. He had a great life. But he sometimes wondered if Hugh was somehow closer to viewing the horrifying but overwhelmingly awesome horizon of life. Hugh had started clicking again. Marcus rolled over onto his belly and opened his eyes to stare at his brother's beautiful dark features. Uninhibited, unfiltered, free and floating. Somehow the opaqueness of his eyes looked like a steel ball, held in place by the firm fingers of his eyelids, just waiting to be dropped. They caught Marcus's line of sight and just as quickly passed him over again. Hugh? The clicking stopped. Tell me how it ends. And there you have it. 
that is my short story, Tell Me How It Ends. It's always a joy to share with you these ideas, thoughts, and little creative bursts that I have. And thank you for sharing your time and energy with me and listening to the stories and stoic gems that I hope to share. If you did enjoy the podcast, please make sure that you leave a rating and a review, like or subscribe on whatever platform you're with. If you enjoy the stories, share them with the ones you love, and I hope that they get something out of it too. As always, stay safe, stay curious, and I can't wait to see or talk to you back here again on another episode of Journey by Joel Jackson. Be sure to uh, follow me on Instagram at Joel Jackson Official and stay tuned for further episodes by following the podcasts on whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you again for being a part of this community. Leave something behind so we can move forward together. And I'll be speaking to you very soon. Good luck.